and we're going to uh, look at the subject of prayer. Matthew chapter 6, and I'll read verses 1 to 13. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which stays in secret himself shall reward thee, reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seest in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathens do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And we know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his own word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage this evening, we do pray, Lord, you take your servant, hide him behind the cross, that no man might be seen save Jesus only. Father, I do pray that as we look at this passage, we might be uplifted in our most holy faith, drawn closer to yourself, and even enthused to pray more often. So, our Father, uh, we do pray that as we leave this place this evening, we might be able to say it was good for us to be here, for here we met with the Lord and was blessed. To this end, undertake, we'll be careful, give thee the praise and the glory in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, what is prayer? What is prayer? Now, it's not a rhetorical question, so you're able to shout out if you like. What is prayer? Worship? Good. It says that's part of worship, for sure. What is prayer? Spending time with God. Spending time with God, okay. Any other suggestions? None of them are wrong. Uh, I just put, uh, put down that, uh, simply put, it is our communicating with God. That's what prayer is. It's, it's us communicating to God 
and with God. It's just speaking to God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is that most important subject, uh, dare I say, essential subject that our Lord expects us to be engaged in. And we'll look at some of that just a little bit later. Our Lord not, uh, did not say, we just read a passage here, our Lord did not say, if or should you decide to. No, he said, in Matthew 6 and verse 5, when thy prayest. In Matthew 6 and verse 6, when thy prayest. In Matthew 6 and verse 7, when ye pray. So according to our Lord's own words, he expects us to pray. Now every believer should be involved in the ministry of prayer. Because I believe it is there in the secret place you will learn and develop power in prayer. And the precious ministry of intercession. All of us should be involved in prayer. Now, to my knowledge, there are not many, if any, Bible colleges teaching this very important subject, the subject of prayer. Especially when one considers the first disciples who were Christians said, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So even though prayer is a personal thing, it can be taught. Teach us to pray. And so we're going to look at this beautiful prayer, which we just read in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to break it down to say, we'll see how far we can get. We should be okay for time this evening. The first two words in this prayer is, Our Father. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this prayer. I don't know if you've ever taken it a syllable at a time. But the first two words is our Father. And folks, this term is only fitting for the lips of the redeemed. No one else can call God our Father. No one else can say our Father which art in heaven. W.W. Faraday made this comment. A moment's reflection will convince us that it is perfectly shocking to teach a mixed multitude to say, Our Father. And he's right. W.W. Faraday was a brethren author who died in 1959. Good man. Now the Lord instructed his disciples to use this term. It's what we call a plural, possessive pronoun. I had no idea about that. I read that in a book, okay? But it's a plural, possessive pronoun. Our Father. There's a possession there, belonging to. And so when we are addressing God as our Father, it means that we're referring to a specific person. God himself. And so it is when we pray, we do not use the term my father, but we use the term our father, as our Lord has taught us, because we gladly, in a sense, confess that the grace of God has placed us 
on the same ground as every other saint of God. The ground at the foot of the cross, folks, is level. And so because of this, he is our Father. Amen? So in order uh, to look at this, uh, we need to look at, well, who can rightly call him my Father? Well, it is with intimacy that our Savior approaches the Father with the words, My Father. Now, we have not got time to go into all the verses. Matthew 7, 21, Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, Matthew 12, 50, Matthew 15, 13, and at least another nine times in Matthew's gospel alone, the Lord calls God my Father. We don't do that. The Lord said, after this manner pray ye, our Father. And so we approach God by saying, our Father. Father. Here in these first two words, our Lord describes the relationship that exists between the true believer and our Heavenly Father. Of course, the expression Father speaks to us or highlights to us or conveys to us a warm, personal, family relationship with Him. And folks, we do have a personal relationship with God. He is our Father, our Father, which art in heaven. He is the God of creation. And as such, we are sons of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, this prayer does not start off with, O God, or my God. Although there's nothing wrong with that, but here right away, it centers on a relationship between a loving Father and his grateful children. Also note again the very important use of the word our, O-U-R, that begins this beautiful prayer. And that only shows possession. It's ours. It's mine. If I was to say, well, this is mine. It's my possession. And in a sense, that's how we look at God. Uh, We possess in a sense that relationship with God and highlights our fellowship with our Heavenly Father and with other believers. None of us are an only child. And this word, our, reminds us that all that God has is not mine alone, but it's ours collectively. And yet at the same time, we as individuals have all of God's resources just for the asking. According to his will, of course. And this prayer taught by our Lord introduces this wonderful truth, not at the end, not in the, the middle, but in the very first two words. Our Father. Because as believers, we are all part of God's family. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And we can all rightly say, Right from the beginning of this prayer, our Father. Because he is our Father. It goes on to say, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now we must continue to remember that this is a model prayer. It is not the Lord's prayer. 
It is the prayer the Lord taught his disciples, rightly called the disciples' prayer, or the believer's model prayer. The Lord's prayer is recorded in John chapter 17. This is the prayer he taught his disciples when they asked him to teach them to pray. So we must continue to remember it's a model prayer. And here we're reminded in these words which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, we are reminded of the importance of recognizing the nature of God in prayer. So whenever we go to prayer, folks, we need to try as best as we can uh, introduce at least some of these aspects into our prayers. Our Father, that relationship, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, recognizing the nature of God in prayer. Because God is in heaven. He is above all. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is everywhere present. He lives in the forever present. He is not confined to time and space. And this prayer goes on to say, Hallowed be thy name. And in saying this, we're not only declaring it, but we're recognizing it. Hallowed be thy name is to declare the unique holiness of God. So what are we really saying? Well, he is greatly revered and honored. That's what hallowed be thy name means. Some of the young people may not have understood what does hallowed mean. It means greatly respected, greatly revered, and greatly honored. So what we are actually saying is, I recognize and declare that thou art an all-powerful God, and thou art completely holy. Hallowed be thy name. Folks, this is one of the highest statements, if you like, of praise we could offer unto God. Because he is truly holy and to be reverenced and to be honored. Leviticus 20 verse 7 says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Psalm 22 verse 3, But thou art holy. Isaiah 6 and verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. John 17, 11, I come to thee, holy Father. 1 Peter 1, 16, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God is holy. And we need to remember that, folks, when we come before him in prayer. So by stating this statement, or praying these words, we are glorifying God and recognizing his holiness. And so as the second section of this prayer can be summed up in the words recognition. Recognition. We recognize God for who he is, which is absolute holiness. Now this ought to speak to us about our attitude when entering into prayer. You know, I find that uh, too many in these days are uh, very flippant, and I'm not talking about this church You've just got to watch some of the tele-evangelists and uh, how they go about things and so forth. Too many of these days are flippant and casual as they enter into prayer, thinking that God owes them a favor of some kind, not thinking that they're coming before a holy and righteous God, which are in heaven, hallowed 
reverenced be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Of course, the hope of the church is the rapture of the saints. Uh, later, uh, I've been looking at the signs of the times, and it's later than what we think sometimes. Whenever you look out there, boy, uh, I don't know if righteous indignation is the right word, but I, I get so upset whenever I see some of the things on the news at night time. Uh, people who would walk down the street and bash people up for no reason whatsoever and they're let out on bail. People who murder other people and they get six months in jail and they're let out. And folks, we've all seen it. And the days of his coming is coming too soon. Time is short, folks. We're in the lands of same age, but the, the, the hope of the church is, is the rapture of the saints. And I believe here we see in this thy kingdom come, by implication, the Lord talks about worldly evangelism. Now, it doesn't say that. But he says, thy kingdom come. But it is impossible for his kingdom to come until Matthew 18, 19 and 20 has been fulfilled. And folks, this prayer was taught to the first disciples some 2,000 years ago. And as we look around us today, we can see the signs of his coming. But meantime, Meanwhile, we must continue to evangelize, to witness, to support missionaries and missions until he comes or calls us home. So each time we would uh, either read or pray this statement, this phrase, thy kingdom come, it ought to remind us that there is work to be done in world evangelism. Whether this is at home or abroad, because many have still not heard of the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation that was freely offered. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what all prayer should include, folks. God's will being accomplished. Just as God's will is accomplished in heaven, so it is that God's will ought to be obeyed on earth. And as believers, we ought to try and be obedient to fulfill his will. To pray this section of this prayer and not obey or not accomplish his will would be to lie. It would be hypocritical. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it doesn't apply to me. I don't have to do his will. That's hypocritical, folks. Whenever we pray this, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as the Lord taught his disciples as a model prayer, which means that we also need to have these things in our prayers, then we need to try and fulfill God's will in our lives. But what is God's will? Well, I had a whole page of verses and we haven't got time to go into them, but I'll read one scripture out to you. To put it simply, I believe Peter gives us the answer in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. That's why he has not returned as yet. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And there you have that word repentance. God wills that men repent of their sins so that they will not perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God's will is the salvation of the lost. Of course, we know that no prayer will be answered out of God's will. We just need the wisdom from on high to know his will. James chapter 1 and verse 5. And I believe that this only comes through consistent reading of God's word. We could speak at length on God's will, but basically God's will for the believer is obedience to his word. Matthew 6.33 But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Okay, give us this day our daily bread. Up until this section of the prayer we have looked at adoration. We have looked at petition. We have looked at intercession. Now the Lord starts to teach us the very basics. He knows that we have needs and that we need to ask for them. The word daily is very important here because we do have daily needs. And the Lord is teaching here that this is a systematic prayer. It's a model prayer. He's teaching us the importance of asking on a daily basis. Our daily bread or our daily needs. Now, none of us, and this is silly, but none of us would ever think of praying once a year. Uh, give us this year, uh, 2020, our yearly bread and leave it for a year. No more prayer. No more asking. That'd be silly, Bernie, wouldn't it? It would be. Silly in the extreme. The Lord wants to bless us, folks. He wants to bless us daily. And he requires us to ask on a daily basis. Matthew 7, verse 7 to 12. I'll just read that quickly. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Just because we're continually asking, never think that it is begging. Folks, this is God's will. This is God's way of meeting our needs. It's called importunity. And that's a subject on its own which can be dealt with at another time. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 4 and 5, 
Again, we'll not turn there for the sake of time. Remember the manna in the wilderness? God sent it down daily. And men had to go out and seek it on a daily basis. They had to go out and collect their daily bread, as it were. And so God wants us to come before him on a daily basis. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. At this juncture, our attitudes are brought into focus. Because forgiveness is the subject here. In fact, if we get this far in our prayer again, and hold or harbor grudges or resentments or bitterness towards others, we can't go any further, folks. If that's your heart before God, it's a terrible thing to be bitter and to have a resentment towards others. The Lord is teaching us to forgive others if we too are to receive forgiveness. Do you know forgiveness is a two-way street? The offender needs to ask forgiveness and the offended needs to forgive. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, 32, Matthew 18, 15. Then the offended, Matthew 5, 23 and verse 24. And we need to be very careful that we get ourselves right, not only in prayer, but also as we go before the Lord in our communion services and so forth. Lead us not into temptation. Let me just say, if you have bitterness, before we go on to this point, if you have bitterness or unforgiving spirit, Sort it out. Only takes a minute. You can ask God tonight to sort it out. And if there's another person involved, then you can go and see them at another time. Because Psalm 66 verse 18 says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so everything that you would say tonight would not go higher than this ceiling. If I regard iniquity in my heart. Lead us not into temptation. Or allow us not to be tempted. Let me just point this out first. The devil tempts us to bring out the worst in us. The Lord tests us to bring out the best. And sometimes we're tested and sometimes we're tempted. But James chapter 1, 13 and 14 says this. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. Folks, you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? You remember what Joseph did when he was confronted with a compromising situation? When that evil woman, Potiphar's wife, wanted him to sin, tempted him? Joseph said in Genesis 39 verse 9, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar's wife. Doesn't say that, does it? No. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? She's sinning is against God. And he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got himself out. We need to be very careful, folks, not to be in a compromising situation. Joseph wrote not that the men of the house had withdrawn themselves. He didn't know he was going to be in there by himself. Otherwise, I'm sure he would not have gone in. The believer is continually in a battle with the flesh. For the spirit and the flesh 
are at odds one with the other. And as such, we continually need God's Spirit to lead us and guide us. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 24. The things that I do, I do not, says Paul, and so on. Quench not the Spirit in your life, folks. Grieve not the Spirit in your life. Resist not the Spirit, because He is the one that will lead us into all truth. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he will lead us away from temptation. Folks, the old enemy, the devil himself, is always there. He's trying to destroy. He's trying to discredit. He's trying to devour each one of us. And he will use any device at his disposal to bring about our demise. Okay? Remember that. Lead us not into temptation. Is us asking for the Spirit's leading and God's strength for the battle at hand. Again, I'll just give you a few words here because uh, the first step for us to overcome the enemy, for us to recognize that he is out there, uh, the first step to overcome the enemy is to recognize that there is an enemy. Some people don't believe in the reality of the devil. Lucifer. Beelzebub, but he's real. He's a real person. He was in God, God's side in heaven when he rebelled and was cast out of heaven. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, he's subtle and he's sinister, 1 Peter 2, 9. And he's savage, 1 Peter 5, 8. Walks about like a roaring lion, seeking may he, whom he may devour. That means to pull apart. He is supernatural, Second Thessalonians 2.9. So the devil is powerful, but he's not all powerful, folks. He is a defeated foe, but he's still the prince of the power of the air. So never underestimate the wiles of the devil. Deliver us from evil. Notice, first of all, that these two sections are joined together with the word but. It links them together. Deliver means to continually protect us from evil or to save us from the evil that is out there. It's a petition for deliverance as well as a request for protection. Folks, we will never understand how God has protected us from evil until we get to heaven. Boy, I could give you some testimonies tonight. Hi, God has protected me, Vicky and I together over the years. And you say, well, you're mad. No, I really believe that God does miraculous things to protect us and to keep us from danger and from evil in these days. Again, remember, this is a model prayer. And the Lord is reminding us that when we go to prayer, we ought to be alert to the temptation of the evil that is in the world. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Our model prayer now includes a a beautiful doxology, which takes us back to where we began. Because earlier in this prayer, we recognize that God is holy, and he's worthy of all praise and worship. We have now almost come 
full circle and we now conclude our prayer with worship and praise. Praise should always be part of our prayers. Remember, this is the model prayer that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, taught his disciples. It is something that we can base our prayers on. Folks, there's absolutely nothing wrong with reciting this prayer. If you take it syllable by syllable, paragraph by paragraph, and mean what you're saying and say what you mean, it's a beautiful prayer. But it is a model prayer that we can base and model our own prayers after in our own words. Now we come to the last word, folks. Amen. Amen. This is the word which most of us, if not all of us, use to finish our prayers. And sometimes we would overlook the importance of this final word, the word amen. It's a benediction, which we use sometimes as a matter of fact, or just in repetition. That's what we do. We say our prayers. We say, Amen. How often we do use it without thinking. But if we give it more thought, this word Amen means to express our confidence that God will honor his petitions. It expresses our confidence that God will honor our petitions. Amen literally means, may it be so. That's what we're saying to God. May it be so. Lord, help us this day. Lord, protect us this day. May it be so. It is asking God to stamp his approval upon our prayer. A prayer which has been said. Amen? And amen. Short study on the disciples' prayer. Some people call it the Lord's Prayer. But it's our model prayer that we can base our prayers on. Amen.